0: Welcome to the Weekly Sermon Podcast at the Cowboy Church of Ellis County. Uh, We are going through a little Bible study for the next few weeks. You saw the video for it. Here's the study guide. You'll get through this. And uh, we're going to be moving through this. It's about the life of Joseph. And uh, it's about a man who has faced way more than his fair share of trials. And we're looking at his life because... Just as he was enabled to face his trials, we believe that we can learn some things from his life that will help us to face ours. And so if you don't have the book, it's back there at the Connect table available. If you're not in a Connect group and you wanna go through this in a group doing the Bible study with us, it's not too late because this is just week two and you can see Ray back there at the Connect table after church and we can hook you up with that. I'll be preaching a sermon to go along with this every week, but my sermon will not necessarily correspond precisely with the book. And so you'll get two different perspectives as you go through your groups and as you sit here and listen to me. So with all of that in mind, let's go to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. There's two books in the Bible that are very easy to find. One is Genesis and one is Revelation. I'll let you figure out why. (laughs) Genesis chapter 37 beginning at verse 1. We're going to kind of review and and actually remain on the same passage of Scripture that we looked at last week. It's really the, the, the biggest key to all of this. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 of Genesis chapter 37. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. And this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often attended or attended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the son of his father's wives, Bilhah and Ziplah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brother was doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Joseph, uh, I'm sorry, one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them, and they couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain when suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. And his brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, and his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his, fathers wondered, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their, their father's flocks at Shechem. And when they had gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. Let's go ahead and skip down to verse 18 if we could. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. Then we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness, then he'll die without our laying a hand on it. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, "'What will we gain by killing our brother?' We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Well, we went over this a little bit last week. And we talked about some of the reasons why Joseph found himself in the pit and why he found himself sold into slavery. And if you remember, we said that there was blame to go around. For one thing, it was partly Joseph's fault because he was a spoiled kid and he was acting like a spoiled kid. He was a tattletale. He was always uh, telling his brothers about his dreams, bragging about his exploits, all of those sort of things. His brothers did not like him. It was also Jacob's fault, the father. Because the father played favorites. And he did things for Joseph that he wouldn't do for any of the rest of his kids. And the rest of his kids resented that. And then, of course, the brothers were at fault because they were jealous. So so those are some of the reasons that got him there. But this morning, I don't want to focus on the why so much as I want to focus on how this must have seemed to Joseph. Think about where Joseph was in life when all of this happened. He was actually in pretty good shape, wasn't he? He was his father's favorite child, given favoritism at every turn. He had just gotten this fancy new coat to wear that was unlike any that anyone else wore. He had minimal responsibilities, it seems to me, from what we can read, Because it seemed like while all the other brothers were out tending the sheep, Joseph just kind of got to go around and keep his eye on things and make sure they were doing it right and report back to Dad. That wasn't too bad of a gig. And, And probably he had every reason to believe that whenever something happened to his father, he might inherit a larger portion of the estate because of his father's favoritism. So what I'm trying to say to you is, this, this day when Joseph's traveling out to his brothers, he's got life by the tail. Things are looking pretty good that morning. But by the end of the day, life as he knew it was over. Because those who he thought were part of his family, they were part of his family, but those whom he thought would, would not have done anything like this to him, they betrayed him threw him into a pit, sold him into into slavery, essentially, and off he went to Egypt. Guys, that is very much the pattern that we all face when we live in this world. It is an amazing thing. See, I don't think Joseph saw any of this coming. I think life was just going pretty well for him when all of it fell apart in the blink of an eye. And life can do that to us. We can get up in the morning thinking everything is perfectly fine. Then we get a telephone call from our doctor. Maybe we did a routine lab. Maybe we had our physical and all of a sudden we find out that life as we have known it is about to change and change dramatically. Maybe we have been in a marriage that we considered, if not happy, at least a committed marriage. And all of a sudden there is a knock on our door or someone comes by our office and they serve us with divorce papers and everything that we thought that we had in life is suddenly taken away from us. Maybe we consider that God has blessed us with a beautiful home and we have raised our family in it and grown to love it and it is comfortable to us. And one morning, all of that is still there. And that afternoon, a tornado or a fire or a flood has taken it all away. And we find ourselves without anything that we valued having to start all over again. That's the nature of life. But when these tragedies strike, and they most assuredly will, the question is how we're going to respond to them. Are we going to find the courage to stand, to put one foot in front of the other, and continue going through life in a way that will glorify and honor God, or are we going to give in to despair? And one of the reasons that we're looking at Joseph's life right now is because he seems like he is a person who found a way to stand when he had every reason to just cave in to despair. I'm here to tell you, if I went through a third of what Joseph went through, I would be feeling pretty sorry for myself and the temptation to despair would be great. And so I want us to look at his life this morning and and just simply ask ourselves the question, how in the world did he hang on? How did he go through all of this darkness still on his feet? Where did the strength come from? Where did the courage come from? And oddly enough, it seems to have come from these two crazy dreams that he had, right? You remember them, we just read about them. First one, you know, his brothers, his 11 brothers, they were represented by bundles of grain, and all the grain was out in the field, and so Joseph's bundle was standing in the center, and all of the brothers' grain bowed down to his. That's a crazy dream. And the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down and worshipped him. And, And I don't think for an instant that Joseph really understood what these dreams meant. They didn't give him any clarity into the future. He didn't didn't really know where he was going. But I do think that he had the sense, a couple of things. I think that he had the sense that God had sent these dreams, first of all. And secondly, he had the sense that these dreams meant something about his destiny. Something good. In his heart of hearts he believed that God had something special in store for him. Again, I don't think he understood fully what it was. But as he was marched off into slavery, the only real thing he had to hold on to was what God had showed him in these dreams. He said to himself, Joseph, God has spoken to you. God has revealed something to you. God has a plan for you. And this ain't it. And <laughs> this ain't it. What you're going through right now? And I think he just held on to that through one trial and then the other. If you read through your little uh, booklets this week, you're going to see that Max Lucado, the author, said that, that it was Joseph's belief in God's destiny for him that, that, that enabled him to move through all of these trials the way that he did. And, and his point is that just as surely as God had a destiny for Joseph, He has a destiny for us too. And and I want you to hear my heart this morning. I believe that. I really, really do. But I do think that if we're not careful, we can get maybe not a complete message if we just leave it there. Because the reality of the matter is, sometimes we don't get what Joseph got. What if God doesn't reveal anything to us about our destiny and our future? I mean, he had these dreams that he hung on to. What if we don't have any dreams? More than that, what if in our heart of hearts, we fear that what we're going through right now may just be the prelude to something worse that we're going to have to go through? In other words, what if we think in our heart of hearts or or if we're living in fear that that maybe things are not going to get brighter but they're they're going to get darker. I mean, it's great that Joseph had a bright destiny and and, uh, absolutely his dreams communicated that to him. However, not everybody's destiny is that bright. I almost feel bad preaching this this morning. But isn't that true? Not everybody's destiny. I mean, Joseph, at a minimum, through those dreams, believed that he would at least have some preeminence in his family, whatever that might imply for the future. But but all of our destinies are not maybe that bright. For example, think of Peter's destiny. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of John, chapter 21. Gospel of John, chapter 21. We're going to look at a couple of these quickly. John 21, 15. This is um, after Jesus was raised from the dead. And he is coming back and he is sharing with Peter what Peter's destiny is going to be. John chapter 21 beginning at verse 15. It says, after breakfast, Jesus, the resurrected Lord, asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep, verse 18. Here it is. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Peter. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked and you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. That's not too good of a destiny. What this language is communicating to Peter, we may miss it. But what, this communi- but, but what Jesus was communicating to Peter was crucifixion language. It's the very thing that happened to a man who was being executed and he was communicating to Peter, I'm going to show you what lies in your future. I'm going to show you what your destiny is. And your destiny is that when you were young, you did whatever you wanted to. But whenever you get older, they're going to take you and some brutal things are going to happen to you. That was Peter's destiny. What about Paul's destiny? Look at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're going to pick up a part of the Damascus Road story, Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 10, and we are, uh, we're going to look at a disciple named Ananias and the part that he played in Paul's story. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 10, God has already appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus and blinded him. And as we pick up in verse 10, it says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. And I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Do those words sound ominous to you? They sound ominous to me. And so, Jesus here is speaking about Paul's destiny. And he is telling Ananias, I'm about to show this man how much he's going to have to suffer. I said a while ago, it is wonderful that Joseph had a a good bright destiny even in this world that is amazing it's wonderful and some of us may have that but there are those who are called to a harder way and sometimes that destiny is out there too think of the destiny of the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 20 verse 17 and you don't need to go there it says this It says Jesus was going up to Jerusalem and he took his 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. He said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law and they will sentence him to die and then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged and crucified but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. How is that for a destiny? What do we do whenever we are already in a dark place and, and we fear that things may not get better? What do we, how do we manage to stand whenever we feel like we are confronting things that are just so overwhelming that we don't know how we're possibly going to move through them? I think what I would like to do for a few minutes this morning is dig just a little bit deeper into how Joseph actually stood. Because I don't think it was just merely by trusting in his dreams. I don't think it was just merely by believing that he had a a better destiny out there, although I do believe that that is part of it. I, I, I think that Joseph stood not so much on the basis of what he believed his destiny to be, But he stood on the basis of the power of God whom he believed had given him those dreams. Now there's a difference in those two things. Uh, In other words, it's one thing to have a a destiny or even to believe that you have a destiny. But to believe that there is a God who has shown you that destiny and that God has the power to make it come to pass even when it seems impossible. Brothers, when you're thrown into a cistern, And then when you're sold to slave traders, the destiny of the sun and the moon and the 11 stars seems a little thin. But he believed that God gave those dreams and he believed that the God that gave them had the power to carry them out. And so his faith wasn't just in a dream or in a destiny, his faith was in the power of God. And so I want us to talk a little bit about having faith in the power of God. And to do that, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. And actually, I've got those verses for you, but I encourage you to go ahead and go there in your Bible anyways, because we're going to look at some other verses. You got the the, uh, slide? Go ahead and put up the slide. i got... I've got this verse written two ways uh, from two different versions of Scripture. This one is from the Bible that we normally read out of, the New Living Translation. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning verse 1, it's talking about faith. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Now listen, the Bible says if there's something that we hope for, that means we don't yet have it, right? If I'm living in a drought and I'm hoping for rain, that doesn't mean that it's already rained, does it? It means that's what I'm hoping for. I don't, I don't have it yet. But he says faith shows the reality of what we hope for because it is the evidence, there's some evidence that it's going to rain even though I can't see it. Let's look at another verse and how it states it. This time it's taken from the NRSV. Let's go ahead and click the slide over. Do we have the second one or did I do it incorrectly? Oh, that's it? I, I didn't label it correctly. Yeah, that's in RSV. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, that's a little different. Faith is saying, I hope for something. I don't have it yet, but I've got the assurance that I am going to have it. I like that language better. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction. It's not just an assurance. It's a conviction. It is a deeply held belief that I'm going to have it. Even though I believe it, there's absolutely no evidence around me whatsoever that it's really going to happen, and yet I'm convicted, convicted, convicted as deeply as I can be that it's actually going to happen. And so what faith is, is the ability to look ahead and see things that don't exist. See, even when there is nothing that would indicate that the promise of God is going to come true in the present tense, I've got faith in the future tense that it will. I'm looking ahead and and I'm seeing things that do not yet exist and I believe in them so strongly that I am willing to base my life on them. In other words, faith is believing in a future reality that cannot yet be seen. You with me? Faith is the ability... To believe deeply in a future reality that we can't yet see. Because right now there's no evidence of it. And and this is what this chapter is all about. Now, Hebrews 11 is filled with examples of faith. We're just going to look at a couple of them. I want you to skip down to verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Let's talk about faith, this belief, this conviction in the power of God. Hebrews 11, 7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. And by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pause right there. It's talking to us about Noah. Well, God spoke to Noah and he talked to him about the wickedness of the world and that he was going to bring judgment on the world by a great flood. And he said, Noah, you're, you're a righteous man, so I want to save you and your family. I want to save part of my creation, so you build this big boat. It had never rained. That is hard for us to wrap our minds around, but, but biblically that's, that's what it says. It says in those days... That the earth was watered by springs and by the heavy dews and things that would come. But there had never been a thing such as rain on the earth. It had never happened. There had never been a flood. And so God is talking about deluging the whole earth with so much water that it it takes everyone out. And and there, you know, Noah's looking around. Maybe they're in a drought. I don't know, but I do know it hadn't rained. (laughs) This never happened before. God's describing something to Noah that has no basis in current reality whatsoever, but he's pointing to a future. And Noah believed in, the, in God's ability to carry that out so much that he spent the next approximately 100 years building a boat and preaching about the coming judgment of God. And that's why he was counted as a righteous man. Let's look at the second one. Verse 8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. And he went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city uh, designed and built by God. Just to touch this very lightly, God called Abraham said, I'm, I'm going to give you a land, and, it, and it's going to be for you and your descendants, and I want you to go to this land, and I will show it to you. And, and so Abraham, Abraham believed God. He followed him. He went to this land. Guys, he never owned any of it. His immediate ancestors didn't own any of it. And God had not only promised him that he would give him a land, but that he would make him the father of many nations. Now that's a pretty good promise. If you have kids. He didn't have any kids. And he and his wife were old. If I remember I believe Sarah was 90 years old. How's she going to have a kid? It seemed impossible. There was no evidence I mean, to the physical eye, you look at it, it's crazy. Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90, you're going to be the father of many nations? How are you going to have kids? Talk about post-menopausal. Post, post, post. And yet God came through with the promise because Abraham believed. And Abraham lived his entire life leaving in the future that God had promised him, even though he did not get to see all of it come to fruition. In fact, look at 13a, verse 13, the first part. In the first part of verse 13, it says, all of these people died still believing what God had promised them. They didn't receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance. And they welcomed it. And they held on to it by faith. It was by faith that Abraham became the father of many nations. It was by faith that Noah saved himself and his family in creation in an ark. They saw all of it from the distance and they lived their lives by faith in the power of God. It is the ability to believe in the promises of God even when there's no evidence of it that enables us to stand. I want to give you a contemporary example of it. Whenever um, I was young, segregation was still alive and well. I didn't live, I wasn't old enough to appreciate most of it, but uh, I certainly understand it and certainly saw evidence of it. In the 1960s, segregation was a real thing still in the United States. Uh, Blacks had to use a separate side of the restaurant. Many times they had to use a separate entrance. There were many times drinking fountains for whites and drinking fountains for blacks. There were schools for whites that typically were pretty good, well-equipped, and then there were schools for blacks which were just pretty horrible in in, in many cases. there, there was, segregation was, was real, and, and it hasn't been that many years ago. It's been in my lifetime. And, and not only that was that true, but prejudice was very real. And, and, and listen, I understand prejudice is still real. I, I get that. But, but today, prejudice is covert. Back in those days, it was overt. And, and what I mean by that is, is the little town that I come from, on, on each side of the town, so I have been told by many, that there was a sign there for many, many years that said, blacks, don't let the sun set on your back in this town. I won't name it. Probably named it before you would make a guess, but, but the sign was there. And it didn't say blacks. They used another word, as you can imagine. And so it was a time in the 50s and 60s when you could pour out contempt on on black people and there were very, very little consequences for it whatsoever. And it was into that atmosphere that a man named Martin Luther King stood up and he looked around and he said, this will not stand because it cannot stand. And the reason he believed that is because he... He knew something of the character of God. And so he became an outspoken advocate of equal rights. And his life, guys, history history in, in your textbooks is not real detailed when you go through high school and even college sometimes. But let me tell you something. This man was under the threat of death every single day of his life. It was a nightmare to live the way that he had to live. And in fact, in his heart of hearts, he truly believed that he was going to die. And I want you to see this little excerpt from the very last speech that he ever gave before he was killed. Go ahead and put the clip up.
1: All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. I lived in... of the freedom of speech, somewhere I read, of the freedom of press, somewhere I read, that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. And so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.
0: You know what you call that brothers and sisters? You call that faith. Everything in the current circumstances looked bleak. His people were living in grinding poverty. There was injustice happening everywhere. Many of the black people were being being unjustly imprisoned, unjustly treated, unjustly killed. They were turning dogs loose on them in the streets, spraying them down with water hoses, doing everything that they could to keep them under the thumb. And, And it was a time again when prejudice was overt, not covert. Nothing looked good. He had every reason to be in despair. He had every reason to throw up his hands. But what did he say? He said, I have been to the mountaintop. I have seen the promised land. I know God's heart. I know God's character. I know that this will not stand. And so based on my faith in God, I'm going to do what he has for me to do. He could see evidence of a better future even when there was no evidence of it in the present. Guys, let me tell you some difficult truths this morning. You and I live in a broken world, deeply broken world. Several years ago, I I met a man, I think it was in a funeral meeting, who was telling me about his sister, and you will recognize this story. Um, I'm not going to give any names. Uh, But uh, this woman was kidnapped over in Parker County. Her home was burned, her car was burned, they didn't know where she went. She was missing and police found her uh, over in Corsicana. And I'm going to pick up from this article. It says, she told police that the man had forced his way into her residence, assaulted her, tied her up, got her into his vehicle. Two days later he returned to the woman's home and burned it down. The man admitted that he had hit the woman several times with his fist and a rolling pin, according to court records. He told police that he bound the woman with handcuffs, strung her up in a homemade device used for skinning deer, and and, and police swept the home finding handcuffs, ankle restraints, sex toys, and a leather gag. I hope I never see it again, Parker County Sheriff said. To me, it was a house of horrors. Stuff like this happens all the time. We experienced it in our church just a few years ago when, when uh, Missy, Missy Beavers went to a church down the street to lead an exercise class. And someone went in, we don't know who, and she was, she was beaten and punctured to death. Those things happen every day. And so every time I'm watching the news or I read the paper and I hear about some child or some woman that's gone missing, i got to tell you, my heart just drops because I say to myself, this is not going to end well. I carry within my soul the knowledge that we live in a world where things usually don't end well. My mom always wanted me to watch a movie. I resisted until about a week ago, and I thought, well, this maybe be a cheer mom up because she liked the movie. Maybe you saw it's real old. It's called Dances with Wolves. And the reason I resisted watching that movie for so many years is because I kind of knew the theme of it, that it was a, a movie about the days when, when America was expanding westward and they had sent the cavalry out to deal with the Indians, and I knew that for the Sioux people it wasn't going to end well. I didn't even want to see it. Fortunately, the movie portrayed it better than it actually was because in reality it it didn't end well. And, And I say all of that just simply to say is that more often than not, guys, things don't end well in this world. And the truth of the matter is even if we go through life and life treats us pretty good, All of us do share one destiny. I can tell you your destiny this morning. You know what it is? Put it up there, fellas. Stay with me. There's our destiny. There's my grandma and grandpa right there on my mother's side. That's where we're all going to be at some point in time. But in spite of all of that, and in spite of what our destiny might be in this world and in this life, we have got some very precious promises given to us by Jesus Christ our Lord. He has promised us that if we believe in Him, our sins can all be forgiven, whatever they are, whatever we've done. Our part in this broken world can be erased. That's a powerful promise. He has promised us that even though we live in a broken world, that he will give us a new heart and a new spirit. And that we can become new creatures. And that instead of contributing to the brokenness of this world, that we can become salt and light and a force for good and a force for the glory of God. He has promised that if we believe that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us, that we will have eternal life in a redeemed world world, a redeemed world where all creation will rejoice together, a redeemed world where there will be no more evil or sin or suffering or death. It's laid out in Revelation 21. I'm not going to take you there this morning, but you can go check it. And Jesus himself promised that he was going there to prepare a place for us. He has portrayed for us a very bright future in spite of all of the trials and difficulties and pits that we may face in this life. In spite of all of the times that we may think that we are being carried back into Egypt. God has an eternal destiny for those of us who will dare to believe it. Can you see it? Can you see those promises? Can you envision a world in which the lion will lay down with the lamb? Can you envision a world in which there is no sin or evil or injustice or sickness or suffering or death? Can you envision a world in which everything is just as our hearts know it should be? When I watch something like Dances with Wolves... Or whenever I read an article like some of these that we've just looked at this morning, there is something in me. I I say, this ain't right. This is not how it's supposed to be. Well, the reason we feel that way is because it's not. And God has said if we will trust in Him and His promises, He will set everything right and that we will have an eternal destiny that will outweigh everything that we face in this life. Can you see it? Can you believe in it by faith? Those who can, guys, live lives that cannot be overcome. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 writes this. He said, we are hard pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. That is the picture of a life that is lived by faith. Knocked down, but it always gets back up. Hard-pressed, but never destroyed. It is a life that sees and carries with it the conviction that every one of God's promises will be yes and amen. That God's going to bring every bit of it to pass. I pray that whatever is going on in your life right now, that God will grant you the grace to walk through it by faith. Believe in God. Trust in His promises. Know that He has something for you, no matter what happens in this world. I pray that God will grant you the grace to see beyond your trials. And to see ahead, to look forward by faith to what God holds for you. And to believe so strongly in it that you cannot help but but live as though you already have it. That's what Abraham did. I mean, he saw ahead. He didn't have it yet, but he lived as though he did. I pray that will happen for you. And if that seems impossible, okay? Because I know to some of you it does. Especially if you're in the pit. If that seems impossible, I encourage you to go to the fountain and drink. Go to God and His Word. Begin to fill your heart, fill your mind on the promises of God. Let those promises come alive within you so that you will have the hope uh, in you of what God has promised. So that you can confront your trial accordingly you fill yourself with the promises of God and you dare to believe in the God of the promises you will find a strength and a power to be able to stand and do courageous things even whenever it seems absolutely impossible let's pray together heavenly father I come to you this day in Jesus name I thank you for these words of reality and I thank you for these words of hope. Lord, I do praise you and I thank you because I I believe that in the main you do have a bright destiny for all of us even in this life. But I also know, Father God, that there are many who will suffer trials and tribulations that are far beyond their ability to endure. And that, Father God, for them to be able to go through them and to experience life and, and to experience peace. Lord God, that is going to require your promises and your help. So Lord God, I pray that you begin to draw them to yourself. To draw them to your word. To fill their hearts and their minds with the, with the reality of the promises that you have fulfilled for your people past. And give them faith and courage to believe that you're going to fulfill your promises for people going forward Lord God sustain us all in the midst of our dark hours help us Heavenly Father to keep our eyes on Jesus the author and the defender of our faith who shed his blood that we might have these precious promises and father God continually remind us of the reality That there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness, where the highest value will be love. Father God, give us the courage to fill our lives with this. Give us the courage to hold on to it. Give us the courage to live for it. For we lift it in Jesus' name and for his sake.
1: Amen. For this sermon and many more, check out our website at www.cowboyfaith.org.